I really enjoy teaching here at this church because I do not feel pressure to entertain you or to keep you awake. My assumption is if you've been going to our church long enough, you actually love the Bible and you want to understand it. You want to know the Lord. You want to obey His truth. And sometimes we study difficult things in the Word of God. And I, I, even, I don't even feel obligated to bring the cookies down to the lower shelf for you. Sometimes we can just leave them up there and study some hard truths in Scripture that it may even be difficult to understand. So I trust that you'll be able to dive in the Word today along with me as we continue to go through uh, the Bible. This morning we're going to do something a little different, but I think you have the navigation skills to pull it off. We're going to briefly consider an Old Testament passage and then spend the majority of our time in the New Testament looking at how Jesus expounds on an Old Testament passage. I think you can handle that. We are currently in the book of 1 Samuel, and we have come to chapter 21. So if you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 21, go ahead and do that. We are in the section of 1 Samuel where David is on the run from King Saul. There has been no safe haven for him in his own house with his wife, Michael. There's no safety with the prophet Samuel. There's been no safety with his dedicated friend, Jonathan. Saul is out to get him, out to kill him, no matter where he goes. So David heads to Nob and ends up with the priest Ahimelech. And we're going to look at nine verses briefly in 1 Samuel. And as I read these to you, let's go ahead and stand and listen to God's word. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand. But there is holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doug the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Himelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. You may be seated.
big picture here. I'm not going to get into much details at all. The story continues to exhibit God's provision and protection of King David, who is the future anointed king as Saul is on his way out. David has been protected and has had provision made for him over the last several chapters. It's a reoccurring theme that we've been seeing each week. God protects him. God provides for him. That's the big picture. That's what's going on once again here in 1 Samuel. We are about to go a different direction. I think for sure you can handle this. We're going to see Jesus talk about this story, and he's going to expand upon it, and he's going to go in a different direction. So we are going in an entirely different direction. Are you ready for that? Use your navigation skills to take you to Matthew chapter 12. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 12. If you cannot find it, look on someone next to you, but we're going to Matthew chapter 12. Jesus picks up on this story of David and Nob. And I want you to see the connections. Why is Jesus connecting with this story and what's the connection to himself? For starters, Jesus is on the scene. And he is one who is greater than David. David was an anointed king. Jesus is the ultimate anointed king greater than David. David was facing growing hostility from Saul. So Jesus, if you look at our text here in a bit, he's facing growing hostility as well from the religious leaders in the land called the Pharisees. We're about to hone in on this confrontation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. And the focus and the emphasis is about man-made rules coming into conflict with the heart of God. Man-made rules coming into conflict with the heart of God. Jesus and his opponents clash in such a way that his actions lead down a road of compassion and mercy, and the actions of the religious leaders lead down a road of rules designed to keep humans in check without regard to their true need. And I would say it is a common clash that continues today as churches have man-made rules that trump compassion and care for people. And, And as soon as I say that, we all assume that it's not our church, and we all assume that we are not part of those churches, never would be part of a church that takes man-made rules and lets that trump compassion and mercy. I'm going to leave that there for a moment. I would say it's also a common clash that happens in families where mercy is set aside to enforce harsh consequences. Are there any parents in here that lack mercy? Yes, I see you. You're here. Are there any parents in here that like to enforce harsh consequences? Yep, yep. We often like to bring the boom without mercy. And it's also a common clash that happens in all of our hearts where we have the Pharisee within that wants to crush others rather than display the merciful and compassionate heart of God. 
So I'm just letting you know where we're going this morning. We're going to enter the clash where we're going to learn that Jesus is the merciful king and those who follow him are his merciful servants. I'll say it again. Jesus is the merciful king and those who truly follow him are his merciful servants. Let's go ahead and jump in as we study this text in Matthew chapter 12, starting with verse 1. And you will see the connection of 1 Samuel in a moment, but you've got to wait for it. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Disciples of Jesus are doing something that is common. They're taking part of an Old Testament provision that allowed them to eat grain. In compassion, God commanded his people not to harvest all of their fields so that the poor and the sojourner could kind of eat the edges and the corners if they were hungry. And the disciples here are hungry, and they are eating and finding provision in the compassionate care of God. The Pharisees are now going to enter the scene, and they are going to take their man-made rules to override human need. And to bring it to Jesus' attention that the disciples are violating or breaking the Sabbath. We know what the Sabbath is. There's an Old Testament law that talks about keeping the Sabbath day holy, which you were to rest from your work. However, the details during the time of Jesus is let's argue about what constitutes work. And so in their minutiae interpretation of the religious leaders, they had some 39 laws and categories that constituted work. And one of those said, you cannot harvest on the Sabbath. And in their minds, since the disciples are going through the fields and they're picking grains for a snack, (laughs) they're harvesting. Isn't that funny? That they're accusing the disciples of harvesting. It reminds me when I lived in California. We were in the L.A. area, uh, my wife and I, and we would take our, our young, our two oldest now, but we'd take them out to the strawberry fields, and they would pick strawberries and stick them in the bucket. That was at least the goal. And my oldest son, who was like two at the time, would often take the strawberries and eat them. What if I said, look at my son bringing in the harvest. Wouldn't you think that's ridiculous? That's what they're doing here. They're saying, no, no, you cannot do that on the Sabbath. It's it's harvesting. (laughs) It doesn't matter that your disciples are are hungry. What matters is that they keep man-made laws. Jesus continues. Look at verse 3. He said to them, Have you not read what David did? Here's our first Samuel story. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. This is our story. This is our first Samuel story. 
David is looking for food, but the only food that is available is the ceremonial bread. And only the priests were allowed to eat this special bread, which was 12 loaves. And this loaves reminded God, uh, reminded the Israelites of God's sustenance. But in this instance, King David ate the bread. And he was not condemned for doing so. And the average Israelite would have been held guiltless, would not have been held guiltless, they would have been guilty. The reason why David was allowed to eat this bread, and the reason why David is guiltless is because God's anointing king was on God's mission. And Jesus' inferred argument, this is, this is, this is difficult stuff to get, Jesus' inferred argument is that now he is on the scene, he is greater than David, and he is also on a divine mission. And if it was okay for David and his men to eat the consecrated bread when they were hungry and on God's mission, how much more can Jesus, along with his followers, eat this grain in the field when they are on God's mission? Jesus is greater than David. And he has the divine authority to say what can and cannot be done on the Sabbath. So far, so good. Maybe a little complicated. Jesus keeps going. Look at verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Like, maybe this is a difficult argument to understand, but okay, the priest, not just to work on the Sabbath, and yet the priests are allowed to work on the Sabbath, though technically that would be a violation of the Sabbath, and yet they're working. And so if their calling to be a priest overrode the stipulation so that they could facilitate worship of God, then how much more now that Jesus is on the scene... He's not only greater than David, but he's also greater than the priest. In fact, Jesus is greater than the temple. He is now God with us. And now that Jesus is on the scene, he's greater than the priest, he's greater than David, he's greater than temple. He has the authority to say what can and cannot be done on the Sabbath. This is the way he is reasoning. Stick with them. It gets better. Verse 7 and 8. Jesus finishes up this challenge. And if you had known, here we go, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying that they do not understand. The Pharisees don't understand what Hosea 6.6 means. They do not know what it means when it says, For I had desire mercy and not sacrifice. So rather than leaning in the direction of mercy, the Pharisees have defaulted to ritual. They have defaulted to, in this case, sacrifice. But they were wrong to bring accusations against the disciples because the Sabbath was meant as a venue of God's mercy for God's people and for the Pharisees to pick it part and to say that the disciples are harvesting is to turn the Sabbath into a burden which it was never attended for. And the reason why Jesus can say these things is because he is the Son of Man. 
He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who fulfills the law. He is the divine interpreter of the law. It's not the leader's interpretation that matters, but Jesus. They interpret the law in such a way that left out God's mercy. But the very purpose of God in giving the law and giving the Sabbath was for mercy so that weary human beings could rest. I'm guessing that some of you grew up in homes where religion, in whatever form it was, overrode compassion. Maybe some of you grew up in more, I don't know what you want to call them, uh, fundamentalist churches, maybe, you want to call them that. And uh, the church and your parents, they said, you know what, as long as you're, you're there, Sunday school, church, maybe Sunday night, maybe Wednesday night, uh, as long as you're going to the events and maybe show up at Revival a little bit, and if you, maybe if you didn't look at certain movies and dress a certain way, generally you're going to be okay. Like, if you do the rituals and the routines of our church, then you should be fine. And then those of you who grew up in Catholic churches, which is many of you, and as long as in Catholic church you went to Mass, and as long as you went to Confirmation, and were a regular at Confession, you should be fine. As long as you're doing the rituals and the routine of religion set down, whether it's by our church, another church, you should be okay. But, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm wondering this. Maybe no one ever dealt with you as a person. Maybe if you just kind of jumped into their programs or into their rituals and you just started doing this stuff and you go through the routines, you're going to be okay. But maybe... Someone didn't take the time and says, let's, let's deal with you as a person. Let's deal with you as someone who has problems, struggles, needs. And, and what I, I fear in, in our church is that you just, if I just say, you know, just go through the routines, just plug into what we have going on, which, which is good. But leave out the fact that you're a person who has unique struggles and problems And I say, no, 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 it's all about sacrifice, it's all about ritual, and yet, where's the mercy? And for whatever you're going through, and whoever you are, I'm just, we want to try to engage you as a person who needs mercy. We want to try to take you and bring you to Jesus, who is merciful, whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. He wants to teach you and bring you to his heart of compassion. And we're not trying to load you down with ritual and man-made burdens. Now, Jesus continues with this clash and this encounter, and I want you to see the merciful, compassionate heart of Jesus that is is overriding the Pharisees and their man-made rules of ritual and sacrifice. Look at verse 9, and we have a great display here. This is wonderful. Verse 9. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Their man-made rules 
prohibited caring for ailments on the Sabbath unless those ailments were life-threatening. So if you were sick, you could be treated the day after the Sabbath and not on the Sabbath. Why? Because if someone's taking care of you while you're sick, that person is working. And you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath because it falls into line with our 39 crazy rules and stipulations. So, Jesus, what do you think? Now, I want you to make sure you understand that the Old Testament did not forbid these acts. Take note of that. But these are the religious leader imposing all the minutiae of their laws. And in this instance here, there was some type of man with a deformity in his hand. This man should be an object of their compassion. The pastors and leaders of their day should care about him. Can you imagine if you couldn't use your hand? These leaders should grab this man and have so much compassion on him and say, Jesus is here. Come on, let's go see Jesus. And rather than compassion, they take this man as an object of an an example of, of rules. Rules in order to trap Jesus. And I, I, that's, let's, let's not go on for a moment, okay? Let's just, just pause. I see this happen in church all the time. And, and it frustrates me and it drives me nuts. And I, I, I wonder if we're reading the same Bible. Where, where even in articles and on, online where you will have humans take God's cra- gracious commands and turn them into man-made burdens. I don't know why we do that. Why does my heart do that? Why does your heart do that? For example, I've seen this in the adoption world. I've been in the adoption world for several years now, just kind of just out there living my life in the church, the blogosphere, and seeing how different people approach adoption from the Christian world point of view. And we have James 127 about caring for orphans in need. And one of the ways we do that is through adoption. That's a good thing, right? But I've seen church folk put human burdens and human laws on something that's supposed to be compassion. In fact, I've seen church folk create like the the Ten Commandments of Adoption. I can't believe it drives me nuts. And he, here are some of the commandments. I'm just kind of labeling these. I'm sure there's more. I'm not going to say all ten because I don't know if there's, maybe there's a hundred. Here's some of the laws or opinions concerning adoption I've heard in the Christian world. One of them is you can't adopt unless you're infertile. Where's that? Oh, by the way, you can't adopt unless you adopt someone of your own race. What? Law number three. You can never adopt out of birth order. So if you're thinking about adopting one kid that's going to be older than this one or young, don't do it. You can't do it. It's a law. Another one. You better not adopt a kid over age of two. If you adopt a kid over the age of two, oh man, don't do it. And by the way, law number five, um, if you're single, you can't adopt. We can't have single people adopting. Another law that I hear is that whatever you do, this seems to be the greatest commandment, whatever you do, stay away from drug or alcohol exposed children. Woo, off limits, against the law. How is it possible we have commands in the word 
about being merciful and compassionate. And I understand that some of these commands do give some wisdom here and there, but the way that it's often laid down is if you cross the line, you're going to ruin your life because you're somehow disobeying God. How is it that we take something that is so good and we mess it up? How do we do that? It's because even in the Christian world, we have this, this heart of the Pharisee. I don't know where that comes from. We've taken the compassionate heart of God and caring for people and have crushed it with man-made rules. That's what the Pharisees are doing, and that's what Jesus is challenging. Look what he does next. He really pushes back. Verse 11. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Just to show you how the minutia that they were engaged in, they all agreed that if your sheep, let's say, fell into a pit, that you could do something to keep the sheep alive. <laughs> like, can you imagine the religious leaders all standing around the sheep in the pit? Oh, we, it's a Sabbath, but we can still keep it alive. Let's just throw it food. We'll pick you out tomorrow, throw you food. And then some said, no, 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 no. We can, like, get down there and get, get that sheep out of the pit because we could... We've got to take care of that, that sheep. And Jesus is like, come on, you guys care for sheep. You have rules to care for sheep. How much more should you be caring for people? How much more should your heart be going after those who are suffering? This seems to make sense. People are greater than sheep. So we should care, regardless if it's a Sabbath, about serving others. Jesus is just sick of those guys. He just goes ahead and does his thing. Look at verse 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. (laughs) As the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus defies all these man-made rules and demonstrates compassion by healing the man. Pharisees were not too cool with that. So we finish up with verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The Pharisees were fuming because Jesus not only defied their authority, but he claimed a greater authority. He is making claims to authority that only God should have, and to them that is blasphemy, and they are out to bring him down and destroy him. Where you're sitting right now, does this seem ridiculous? Jesus healed a man who needed healing and restored him. The Pharisees dog him. The Pharisees try to figure out a way to bring him down and eventually kill him. Does that seem ridiculous to you? And we all would agree that's ridiculous. And yet there are times where we do something very similar, where we have created this Pharisee within, where we like to see other people play by our rules or get crushed. Jesus did not play by their rules. They want to see him crushed. 
do you ever have this Pharisee within you that if someone else is not playing by the way you think things should go down, you hope something bad happens to them? Come on, Pharisee within. I want to speak to the parents in here. One of the things that happens in the the Christian world of parents is all of us have to decide how we're going to school our children. Uh, Public school, private school, home school. And we have to decide what we're going to do. But there are times where you make a choice to school your children different than another family. And I'm just asking, I'm just asking. Do you ever secretly hope the other kids turn out bad? Just so you can be affirmed in what you did. You're like, like all the public school parents, maybe they think, you know, I hope those homeschool kids just turn out weird. And all the homeschool parents, like, I hope their kids get on drugs. There's this Pharisee within. It's like, if you're not going to do what we're doing, we're hoping that it goes wrong with you. So somehow we can be affirmed that our rules were right. It can happen in churches. We should hold to sound doctrine. But sometimes we slice and splice our doctrine so small on areas that are not foundational and we hope that if others are not doing it the way that we're doing it in some specific corner of our doctrinal world where you hope that something goes wrong with that other church. We all have this Pharisee within. Rather than mercy and compassion... We want to just bring the hammer. We want to just bring the boom in so many different areas. Jesus is not like that. Does he have standards? Absolutely. But he does not get caught up in this minutia of pointless bickering and arguing over things that are not laid down in the word. He moves towards others with compassion and grace. When you think about your own life, how do you want Jesus to move toward you? When you're in a lot of pain and you're not feeling very good, do you want someone to come minister to you the compassionate heart of Jesus, or do you want them to bring the Pharisee? What, what do you want? Maybe you're going through a time of depression, or you have gone through a time of depression, and you feel like you're about to snap. Do you need another Christian to come up to you and say, you know what, the reason why you're depressed is because you are not reading the Bible enough long enough. And when you hear that, don't you feel like you're about to snap? When you get under that pressure and you're saying, I'm I'm having some issues here, you don't need someone to come load you with problems, load you with their rules push you down with their burdens and make you snap. That's what the Pharisees are doing. And that is what the inner Pharisee within us can do. And if you don't want someone else to treat you like that, then why would you treat someone else like that? I once read an article about a terrible drought in the Horn of Africa and the variety of people that were suffering through this drought and dying. 
And as I was reading the article, I made a huge mistake of reading the comments. You should never read comments on the Internet. And as I was reading these comments on this wonderful, compassionate article about those who needed help in the Horn of Africa during this drought, I was reading comments that said, let them starve. They deserve it. It's their messed up economic policy. It's because their politics. It's because their cultural foolishness. If they would just get their act together, they wouldn't be going through this. Just let them die. That's the response of a Pharisee, not the heart of Jesus. Jesus would be moved with compassion and mercy, and he wouldn't take people at their lowest point and crush them, but bring them love physically and spiritually. And that's the heart I want. That's the merciful heart of Jesus I want formed in me and that I want formed in you to where your first response towards those who are weak and suffering is mercy and compassion, not trying to lower the boom. I want to change. I assume you want to change. And what we need is a combination of two things. We need forgiveness. We need transformation. And what is the good news for me, this is amazing, is that Jesus died for Pharisees. He died for Pharisees during his time. He died for Pharisees like me and you. And it's hard to believe, but this is what happened. On the cross, Jesus was crushed for people like you and like me who like to crush others. On the cross, the Father crushed Jesus for your sin of crushing other people. And on the cross, as God's wrath is being poured out on him when it should have been on you, he bears the wrath and the crushing completely, and he's buried, and he's dead for three days. And then he comes back alive. And the good news is, all of us, Anyone, anyone in here, anyone around the world can repent of the ways that they have crushed others, the ways they have put the burdens upon others, and we can be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. And not only can we be forgiven through faith in Jesus, but we can be changed, we can be transformed. Where the inner Pharisee starts to take more of the back seat... (laughs) And we start to have this heart formed in us of compassion and mercy for others. Where the merciful king is forming us and shaping us into his merciful subjects, into his merciful children. We are about to go to a time of communion where we are going to remember this king who was crushed in our place. Also during the time of communion is a time of prayer where the elders and their wives will be available. And you can come up for prayer. And when you come up for prayer, you need to have no defenses or being guarded that you're about to be crushed. By God's grace, these leaders will listen to you, pray for you, and point you to the cross and shower you with God's mercy and grace. We want to be 
following the merciful king as his merciful children. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Lord, that you've had mercy on us sinners. Thank you, Lord, that you've intervened with compassion on us when we should have been crushed by you. Jesus was crushed in our place, and we receive mercy and compassion and love. Lord, during this time, as we take and remember what you've done for us in your death and resurrection, may we be moved to continue to come to you, our merciful servant, to see that our sins are forgiven through faith in you. But may we keep coming to you for mercy and grace to help us in our time and need and find that you are not there to crush us, but to heal us. May you do work now as we remember your death and your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.